0: American Prestige listeners. It's Derek, and I am joined uh, very generously by Guillaume Long. Guillaume is Senior Research Fellow at the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C. He is also uh, the former Foreign Minister of Ecuador, and we are going to try to, uh, or he is going to try to help me unpack uh, the events that have taken place in Ecuador this week which i know a lot of people are interested in Guillaume first of all thank you so much for coming on the program i know it was relatively short notice and we're we're very grateful for it
1: no thanks for having me
0: uh so why don't why don't we start with just what has happened this week take us back to uh the weekend the disappearance i guess from prison of uh, Adolfo Macias and then Everything that's followed on from that, I know people have seen probably most people have seen a story or the video of the the gunman kind of storming that t v station in Guayaquil, but that's really seemed like the tip of the iceberg. There was much more going on uh beside that, so kind of you kind of walk us through just uh these most recent events
1: yeah, that's right, so you have uh the disappearance of uh Adolfo Macías um sort of known as Fito his uh, alias um and you know, it's still unclear, you know, how long he'd been uh, sort of gone, you know, absent for. We don't really know whether he escaped that day, 24 hours before, 48 hours before. Some people are even saying he'd been away for weeks. Uh, and that, I think, really speaks to him. Okay,
0: that's, that's really interesting because the coverage, I mean, everything, the implication was like he just vanished on Saturday or something. So that's really interesting. They don't know how long he's been gone. So
1: this, we're going to have this. Uh, this is going to be a recurrent problem. We don't. We, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. But what I think what this speculation uh, reveals in this case is how little control Ecuador has over its prisons, over the penitentiary system. And this has been going on now for uh, two, three years um, since 2021. You've had. 460 deaths inside Ecuador's prisons, which is huge, uh, even, you know, like if you compare it to the worst sort of penitentiary systems in the world, 460 deaths. Most of these are sort of massacres, so uh, they don't happen one at a time. It's usually, you know, you have 30 people die and then another day, 50 people die and then six months later, another few dozen, so on and so forth. And basically what you have is you have these, well, people like Adolfo Macias, alias uh, Fito, controlling whole pavilions inside the jail, often with access to weapons, obviously mobile phones, you know, sort of still, uh, in the in the case, in, in cases like Fito, running their gangs, because he's at the top of the food chain, he's the big boss, and running their gangs from inside the penitentiary system. So obviously, if you control your pavilion, you know, it's very difficult to know. I mean, the, the, what the Ecuadorian authorities said is they sort of visited his cell, and he wasn't there. Now, how long has he not been there for? Right, that, that's the, the the question, because there's very little control of what happens inside the penitentiary system. But certainly that was the first the first sort of uh, uh, event in this chain of events over the last few days, um, because he's like this. Considered to be the major cartel guy in Ecuador, the kind of senior drug lord in Ecuador, senior Ecuadorian drug lord, uh, the government responded with sort of an emergency decree, and you know with sort of a lot of uh, political fanfare and trying to really show that they were taking this seriously. Um, and then, from that decree onwards, you start seeing these simultaneous attacks apparently very coordinated, you know, it's the first time this happens in Ecuador, where you have all these attacks taking place within a sort of short window of time, um, you know, culminating, as you said, with the kind of hostage t- hostage taking live on, on, a, on TV. But, you know, there was a university that was attacked. This is also the first time this happens that a university is attacked in such a way. Lots of bombs going off in small sort of scale bombs, but going off in uh, various locations, a lot of car bombs, uh, and you know, ultimately 13 people killed, including uh, two police officers. Uh, we don't really know what this is all about. We cle- I mean, clearly it's a message being sent by the gangs to the government. Clearly, there's a sort of language of violence, a grammar of violence here. Was there a deal being made between the government and gangs that wasn't respected? Uh, you know, we we don't we don't really know. But it's clearly the gangs flexing their muscles and sending uh, a strong signal that you know if uh, you know if the government doesn't toe the line with whatever it is that they're asking for, uh, this is what this is what awaits uh, for Ecuador in the future.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the context here. And uh, we talked on this show last year about the the assassination of Fernando Villa Vincencio, Villa Vincencio, the, the presidential candidate, which seemed uh, shocking. I mean, just a couple of weeks before the first round of the election and, uh, you know, was really uh, got a fair amount of coverage in this country as a signal that, uh, you know, criminal activity, gang violence is, uh, really surging out of control, but this this problem it seems goes it seems like uh, runs much deeper than that. Can you talk about how it's kind of metastasized over the years to to become uh, this national crisis? Yeah. So the, the context is crucial because it was
1: a surprise for everyone that the precise event of January 9th were were a surprise. For for the onlookers and for Ecuadorians, but it is, I mean, and obviously this is when the international media sort of pays attention to Ecuador, which you know usually uh, international news networks don't pay much attention. So it looks sudden, but there is a gradual uh, decay uh, that leads us to this situation. And over the last few years, Ecuador's been sort of, uh, you know completely eroding in terms of its security situation. And it's incredible because Ecuador used to be the sort of poster child of a safe Latin American country. Um, You know, Ecuadorians themselves saw themselves, described themselves, described their country as the island of peace. This was actually an Ecuadorian saying, right? Um, Particularly in contrast with its two larger neighbors, Colombia and Peru, marked by historical violence. In Colombia, in particular, but also in Peru. If you go back to the history of the Shining Path and so on and so forth, so they, you know, and they're both drug-producing countries, whereas Ecuador isn't. There was always a little bit of transit. There was always a bit of money laundering. So Ecuador wasn't completely spared from the logics of the drug trade. But it was, you know, quite it was quite remarkable. Like Ecuador was seen as this is the exception in the Andean region in terms of uh, drugs and in terms of the war on drugs too, in many regards. Right, so. Uh, you know, Ecuador had some crime. Um, when Correa came to power, for example, in 2007, um, Ecuador was just around the Latin American average in terms of homicide rates. And homicide rates are a good proxy for security and security, particularly in the context of this kind of drug stuff, which is, you know, uh, uh, the countries that are most affected that have much higher homicide rates and gang warfare and all this kind of stuff. So. Ecuador's homicide rate was 16, 17 per 100,000 inhabitants, which is the Latin American average. Latin America typically oscillates between 15 and 18 um, homicides per 100,000 inhabitants. Under Correa, which was um, a 10-year uh, government, so 2007 to 2017, the homicide rate plunges down to 5.8 homicides per 100,000 inhabitants. And this is hailed by friends and foes alike as a success story. It's really incredible because even the Inter-american Development Bank, which wasn't exactly sorry it's not exactly a leftist a leftist institution, right And the inter-american system at large, even the OAS, were kind of using there's still a lot lots of us still have leaflets hanging around you know the inter-american Development Bank saying, Hey, this is how Ecuador busts its crime problem, which again was the Latin American average, lower than its neighbors in the Andean region, and roughly the, you know Latin American average. Um, and it busts its uh, crime problem by uh, all sorts of things. So obviously there's a security pillar to this, but there's also a social pillar to this. There was a whole decentralization of the police force with sort of what you uh, sort of um, uh, neighborhood kind of police. In uh, uh, a very highly decentralized system with uh, sort of miniature police stations, if you like, manned by four or five people, but very, very decentralized with a lot of links to the community and so on, and a lot of investment uh, with major modernization in the armed forces, but also in the police, and a good intelligence system, which was non existent before, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, this 5.8 was like the lowest, the second lowest after Chile, I think, in South America. It was very low. And it was seen as one of the great successes of uh, the Ecuadorian left, particularly as, you know, it was often contrasted with Venezuela, which at the time was also a leftist government, but had significant security problems. Um, and so, you know, this, this was seen as the kind of Correa success story. Now, 2017, 5.8 homicides per 100,000. We've just closed 2023 with 46 homicides per 100,000 inhabitants. Uh this is the highest homicide rate in the Americas. Uh we still some countries are still processing their data because 2023 is very recent, but it's certainly in the top 2 and it's an eightfold increase between 2017 and 2023 in terms of homicide rate. I don't know of any other example, certainly not in the Americas, I don't think worldwide, that in peacetime, you know, in a period of five to six years, you have an eightfold increase in homicide rates, which again is a very good proxy for that kind of insecurity. Um, And why did that happen? I mean, there are a number of reasons, some exogenous, some endogenous. Clearly, there's an important External reason, which is there, seems to be a change in the drug trade with the southern Colombian border becoming much more important, and therefore Ecuadorian ports on the on the Pacific coast becoming very important in the export of drugs. Now it's a kind of chicken and the egg question because this has to do with my internal factor, with my more endogenous factor. Did the drugs trade come to Ecuador because there was this vacuum left by the absence of the state, or? You know, did the was did the absences or was it already? You know, did, what what's what started first? What caused what? Um, certainly, the state after 2017, starting 2018, very aggressively, the Ecuadorian state undergoes the Ecuadorian government undergoes a very aggressive neoliberal austerity uh, program with uh, the support, surprise surprise, of the IMF, uh, which comes back hadn't been in Ecuador for decades, and you see major budget cuts, including in the security sector. it's incredible. People don't believe me when I say this, but the Moreno government, the Lenin-Moreno government, which governed from 2017 to 2021, actually closed the following three ministries. The Ministry of Interior, in charge of the police. The Ministry of Justice, in charge of many things, the Ministry of Justice and Human Rights, but including in charge of the penitentiary system, uh, which is where all the problem now is, uh, you know, happening. And the coordinating ministry of security, which kind of, Korea had a system with six coordinating ministries, which was sort of one of this idea that you would have transversal ministries, right? So you coordinate public policy. So in the case of security, it was across the board, you know, so that civilians, the military, the police force, the intelligence system, were all coordinated by a sort of small ministry, but that had hierarchic superiority over the rest, and you could have sort of very rational, you know, uh, public policy without duplicating efforts, with minimizing, sort of very, uh, econom- uh, yeah, an economist vision of sort of, you know, making sure that uh, public policy is, is is efficient, is, you know, that you have oversight, that you have and you know, in every, Correa, had this system of rule in every area, and in, in the area of security, had this coordinating ministry, which was hailed again by the Inter American Development Bank as wow, this is great, this works marvels, right? And then there were other things that Correa also did, which are now coming back to haunt him because it's being weaponized against him. But at the, at the time in Ecuador, in the early 2010s, you had a few gangs including gangs like the Latin Kings which you know are US creation born in New York a sort of Puerto Rican gang and and those gangs weren't really inserted back then in this like Mexican cartel logic, right? They were kind of urban tribes, urban gangs. Some dedicated to petty crime, sure. Some delinquency in it. Some drug, but kind of micro micro drug trafficking. And so the Ecuadorian state, as well, actually following the UN model, went and negotiated with these gangs, demobilized, got the weapons away, incorporated them in all sorts of uh, yeah again public policies, uh, including employment schemes and so on and so forth uh you know many ministers i mean i was one of them we went and we sort of spoke to them and tried now this is being hailed as you know uh so not hailed so the the demonized sorry as uh where the problem all started you know uh, being uh, lenient on these on crime yeah soft on crime this is what created the problem we're facing now which uh, again according to international observers wasn't the case at all so anyway all this stops in 2018 austerity closing down ministries, cutting funds, you start seeing the old, you know, the the days where the police wasn't armed or whether, you know, whether kind of the the police vehicles don't have petrol or are missing a wheel or, you know, the kind of typical third world images of like run down, yeah, the absence of the state, basically, the state reneging on its fundamental responsibility of granting security to people. That's in the security field. But of course, on the social field, it's even worse because neoliberal austerity affects there are more social cuts than there are security cuts, right? So what you see, and this is prior to the pandemic, is a growth of poverty between 2017 and 2020. 17%. Poverty grows by 17%, which is huge, between uh, 2017 and 2020. Uh, And then the pandemic hits at a time of austerity, the worst moment possible. And of course, the pandemic is an exogenous uh, factor which affected Ecuador actually affected the whole region because the whole region is now affected, of course, by this problem of the growth of narco's and the growth of drug trafficking. I think the pandemic plays a big role because of uh, yeah the the, the the vacuum that it created, which enabled um, drug trafficking organization to to fill it to fill these vacuums. So it's it's a regional phenomenon, but Ecuador is the hardest hit, and I think Ecuador is the hardest hit because Ecuador was you know, was in the midst of this transition towards the neoliberal state. Also the judiciary was very much dedicated to lawfare, which is a term you often uh, hear uh, when discussing contemporary Latin American politics, in Brazil in particular, in Argentina and Ecuador and other locations. uh, The judiciary was sort of instrumentalized to go after the left, to go after Correistas to go after Correa himself, not to go after the drug barons, right? So there was a big referendum in twenty eighteen. Moreno managed to get the exec, essentially, essentially executive control over the judiciary. This judiciary is then weaponized against its enemies, and you know, the politicized judiciary is not a good ally um, uh, not a good, yeah, not a good, I mean, it's, it's a non-functioning institution for the purpose of cracking down on crime and cracking down on narcos. Um, and then we saw the Lasso administration having links with organized crime and the judiciary not being a, a, able to do anything about it, so on and so forth. So anyway, it's a long story of institutional decay, social decay, uh, which has led us to this kind of, you know, ecuador verging on a sort of failed state status now which is shocking to ecuadorians of course but it's actually shocking to the region because other latin american countries saw ecuador you know the narrative about ecuador was that it was sort of a place where not much happened it was quite peaceful politically it was unstable before correa you know you had seven presidents in 10 years before correa between 96 and 2006 you had seven presidents which is one of the reasons why Correa was was popular, because he brought stability. And it was the first time since the independence of Ecuador in 1830 that you had a government that lasted 10 years. But that political instability was not violent. That political instability was not, uh, you know, in in the imaginary, you know, it wasn't Colombian, it wasn't Mexican, it wasn't, there was no um, cartels. And just to finish, and sorry, that was a long answer to your question, but you know, It's amazing for Ecuadorians to see today that this guy, Adolfo Macias, Elias Fito, who's just uh, run away from, from prison, escaped from prison, um, is now sort of one of the, not just an Ecuadorian head of an Ecuadorian gang, the Choneros, in his case, that's named the gang. Uh, he's actually, I think, pro- I mean, again, speculation here, but probably quite high up in the cartel hierarchy. In his case, His allegiance is to the Sinaloa cartel, Mexican cartel of Sinaloa. And, you know, in Mexico now you have songs, pop songs, narco corridos, celebrating this Ecuadorian guy. Um, So he's famous. He's famous in the international sort of, uh, yeah, drug culture, the narrative of um, the gangs uh, outside of Ecuador. And this is the first time in Istanbul we've never had in Ecuador a famous criminal being celebrated by Mexican criminals in um in the sort of narco pop culture that 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 exists there right and i think this is really telling of what's happened to ecuador in such a short amount of time 6 years this is incredible really